I would invite you to turn in your Bibles this evening to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth of five books, the Torah or the Pentateuch. These books written by Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, given by God to his people, especially here in the book of Deuteronomy, that they may know how to not not only uh, know what the law is, but how to apply it in many day-to-day cases. Uh, Moses continues to open up and expand the Ten Commandments this evening, um, touching upon the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and your mother, which is really a call to honor any who are in authority. Just a few verses this evening. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 through 20. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 through 20. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of righteousness. Justice, and only justice, you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Thus far the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we ask that even now you might give us ears to hear as your spirit speaks through your word that you might grant to us holy wisdom, a desire to do what is righteous, pleasure in our hearts as we endeavor to exalt you in all areas of our lives. May we be your true children and disciples, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read again from that Psalm 130a, the second verse or stanza. Psalmist, or at least a, a bit of a translation of Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, should mark our sins, then who, O Lord, could stand? But pardon can be found with you that you may fear command. I remember years ago, uh, riding in my, well, driving in my old 1996 blue Honda Accord. I love that car. Manual. It was my college car for most of the years. I was at university. And I remember listening to an R.C. Sproul talk. It was on a CD back when I had CDs. And he made this point. God is just or God is merciful, but he is never unjust. That injustice is a sinful reaction to something It is a sinful response to a dilemma, a cause, a case, and that God either deals justly or righteously, or he deals mercifully. Either he gives to the man what he is due, or in his mercy he lays upon Christ the judgment that man deserved. Our God is a just God, because he is a holy God, a righteous God. And as a holy God, he causes people to be holy. We see this earlier in the Old Testament. Be holy, even as I am holy. And so he rules with justice. And his great cause in dealing with men is that we would also be just, even as he is just. Now, in this stanza of Psalm 130a, the other day I was with someone and they were mentioning 
that I think it was in South America, they don't do tally marks like we do. Do you know what a tally mark is? One, two, three, four, and then cross it out. It's actually a square, and then you put a cross through the square. If God put a tally for each of your sins, how big would that whiteboard have to be? How many markers would he have to go through just last week? That's the question. It's a real question. If God marked... If he counted each of your sins, if you, O Lord, should mark our sins, who could stand? It's a real question that has a glorious answer, and it is this. In Christ Jesus, there's no whiteboard, there's no marker. Every sin has been covered. God keeps no record of wrong. Can you just say the same Those who've wronged you. Now, I know you're not judge of all the earth. God is eternally gracious. He is a good judge. And then it continues, but pardon can be found with you that you may fear command. How does the pardon of our sins command us to fear or awe him? Because God doesn't just throw the whiteboard out because he didn't have enough room for it. He throws it out because our sins are erased by his judgment and his justice poured out on the Son, Jesus Christ. And it is in justice and through justice that the gospel has context. And if we fail to be just in our judgments as rulers, then we miss the heart of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is more at stake here than following Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 through 20. But that's where I want to focus this evening. And so, let's turn there. Moses is expressing uh, the sentiment, the heart of God, as to how Israel is to rule themselves. And we find the expansion of this fifth commandment. And this evening, I want to look at these few verses under three headings. The first, the appointing of judges. The appointing of judges. Second, avoiding unholy judgments. Avoiding unholy judgments. And then third, what alone you should follow. What alone you should follow. Let's take up this first point, the appointing of judges. Well, I think it's safe to say, as we look at Scripture and even hear the heart of God as he is expressing how the people of God are to be ruled, not only by Moses... But judges appointed by him, really appointed by the tribes, is this point. People must be ruled. Not everyone needs the same level of ruling, but everyone must be ruled. Have you ever thrown off authority? Anybody? How'd it go? Maybe you got away with it. Or did you? (laughs) Have you ever thrown off authority? I've done it. I did it very subtly as a teenager. I was not outwardly rebellious to my parents, but boy, oh boy, I would hear some things from them and I would just... I wouldn't curse them, but I guess it was kind of like a curse. I rejected their wisdom. I rejected their advice. And you know what? I was worse off for it. In fact, when I look back on my life, And all the spankings I received, it was half what I deserved, and I should have gotten more. And if I had not gotten the ones I did get, I'd probably be totally rotten. People need to be ruled. 
And it's not just children and parents. It's not just wives and husbands. We need to be ruled in our homes. We need to be ruled in our states. We need to be ruled even in our own individual lives. We must have a head. We must have leadership that has power and authority because we are people by nature who stray. As a pastor of this church, I am not at the top. I serve among a plurality of elders, or at least another elder. Lord willing, we'll have another elder or two soon. And if they have to, they're called by God to, you know, stick their finger in my potatoes and swirl it all around and get in my business. And let me know, look, Joby, what you've done is not right. You don't need to do this. You don't need to say this. This is the way we should go. And all of us should be humble enough to receive those righteous judgments. People must be ruled. And rulers must be appointed from the people. Have you ever tried to parent someone else's kids? Why does it not work? Because you don't have that connection. There is a break in terms of authority uh, and whether or not that parent has authority over that child. Now, it is helpful at times to have parents who are on the watch uh, for the behavior of certain children, even in this church. But think about our own rulers. Where do they live? Have you ever spoken to them? Are they familiar with your complaints, your griefs? When Moses is commanded by God here, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people. These men called to be judges, think ruling elder, think elder of the church. This is where the office comes from. It's an ancient office in the church. An elder is someone who is chosen from among the people to represent them and to solve cases between them. And the reason that they are to be chosen from the people is you want that person to have to go back to the place they came from. And the reason why that is important is they've got to go back with their head held high. They have to live in the places where the people are over whom they make judgments. They have to care for them. They have to have an interest and investment in them. Deuteronomy 1, we read, And I charge your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. In Exodus 18, it is Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, who encourages him to ask for the tribes to appoint judges to be approved by Moses in order to rule over them because 1.6 million people were bringing their problems to Moses. That's a serious load. And I imagine Jethro heard from his daughter Miriam, and his daughter Miriam said to her dad, I don't see my husband. And Jethro said, I have an idea. And inspired by God, he said to Moses, Moses, I have an idea how you can get home earlier in the evenings. Here it is. Share the load. But these men were not to be divorced or removed from their people. They were to be among them, Not centralized, but representatives who knew. And not only were they to be from the people, but they were to be righteous men. They shall judge the people with righteous judgment. There is nothing worse for a people than an unrighteous judge. And we'll look at that in a moment. But these were to be righteous men. 
For it is only in righteousness that the people are blessed. Now, that does not mean that every judgment that a righteous judge hands down is good or comfortable or convenient. If you're speeding or you run a light and you get pulled over, there is an episode of judgment where a police officer hands to you a sentence, and that sentence is, you have been speeding. You know, you can drive off and give the cop the finger and say, I can't believe he's doing that. Or you can say, you know what? I deserve it. I deserve that ticket, which is what you ought to do because you have broken the law. And you didn't just break the law then. You've probably broken the law a thousand other times you just got caught. In fact, what judgment and justice does is when it is handed down righteously, it reminds us and it humbles us that we are creatures, sinful creatures, who need accountability, who need the righteous judgment of the law. It is okay to be corrected. It is a good thing to be corrected because good judges bring peace. Now, what I mean by that is this. Good judgments, though they be hard, that can even result in the death of one who is a violent lawbreaker, it tills the soil out of which peace can grow. Think about it even in our own day where many prisoners have been released from jail and the danger of the communities that they are put into because of these violent criminals. They've not yet been um, brought to a place of righteous conduct, but instead they have been released and it brings pain. Righteous judgments have not been maintained. Again, it may be hard for you to receive a cause or a, a sentence of judgment, but it is for your good. The scripture says God chastises the one whom he loves. It is wholly unloving for a parent to ignore the sins of their children. It is wholly unloving for a righteous judge to ignore the misbehavior of their citizens. Sins must be dealt with. And so, if there is to be peace in the land where Israel is going, there must be righteous judges who rule in righteousness. And if they are to rule in righteousness, guess what? They must be righteous. I don't mean just good. They must be jealous for the glory of God and the hearts of their people. And so God says to Moses, appoint judges. And here is how they are to judge. He gives three things they are not to do. And that leads me to my second point, avoiding unholy judgments. Well, how do you do that? Well, look at verse 19. The first part of that, you shall not pervert justice. And then we read, you shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept the bribe. So do not pervert justice, do not show partiality, and do not accept the bribe. All of those things are a perversion of justice. They prevent true justice from being carried out. Now, what is a perversion of justice? Well, it is anything that prevents the clear sentence of righteousness and truth against a case or applied to a case. Now, there's many ways that this can be done. Perversions of justice happen between the rich and the poor, between ethnic groups of men, between celebrities and those who are not celebrities. It flows forth 
not from a conviction that truth is to be out, but rather what? We have someone that we like who will receive deferential treatment. Flowing forth even from untruth. There are systems of injustice. Take Sharia law. Sharia law in some countries requires the death penalty for very minor infractions and only against certain sexes of people, women in particular. There is no justice. It is violence and it is vengeance. These are perversions of justice. Anything that is not founded upon God's truth will result in perverted justice. Let me put it this way. Non-theonomic justice is not justice. You don't get to make it up as you go along. Now, why is that? Because when you make it up, what happens? Who's number one? You become number one. Your interests or the people you may feel threatened by. There are many perversions of justice. Exodus 23, you shall not pervert the justice due to the poor. In his lawsuit. Leviticus 19. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor. Nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Deuteronomy 24. You shall not pervert justice due the stranger or the fatherless. Nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this thing. All of these things really strike at the root of what? A perversion of justice in order to give the one who is expressing judgment better treatment. Why would you treat the wealthy better than the poor? A little bit of this, right? And even if it's not a bribe, which we will get to, it may be you like the rich more than the poor. You think they are of greater value and importance than the poor. This is the sort of perversion even of our own understanding of the value of men. Now let me say this. Social justice, as it is called these days, is no justice because you cannot hijack the means of justice and hope for a good end. It is Machiavellian in its pursuit, which means this, the ends justify the means. Whatever you have to do, tear down whatever you have to do in order to get justice. The problem with that is what? You end only with the violence. There is no peace. There is only the continuation of violence. The only justice that is true justice is the justice that issues forth from God's own word. If the Bible is not at the center, you will never arrive at justice. And then there is a partiality. Deuteronomy 1, we read, You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you shall do. Partiality literally means to regard the face. It is to look at the surface and not at the root issues. It is to judge, not as God does, but purely superficially. To show partiality means, well, hey, we went to college together. It's the good old boys club. That's the mentality. You have already judged in your heart ever before you hear the case. In fact, there is no case to be made. Your mind is made up. We have seen this happen time and time again in our own age, have we not? 
If the glove don't fit, you know what I'm talking about? Very little satisfaction because it was a case that was replete with what appeared to be the shows of partiality. And it happens every day. It happens all the time. Because men are perverse in their judgments. Proverbs 18 says, It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. Proverbs 28, To show partiality is not good, but for a priest of bread a man will do wrong. Have you ever shown partiality? Maybe parents, you have a kid that never does wrong in your mind, but then there's the kid that always does. You know what I'm talking about? It's hard to give the benefit of the doubt. We are called not to show partiality, but to judge every case by the merits of the evidence that appears. Have you ever watched 12 Angry Men? This is a great exercise in the deliberations of true justice. Or read To Kill a Mockingbird? Was true justice shown? Was there partiality? America is not a place that shows only, not only America partiality. Every system and society of men, every household, every church plays favorites. In fact, when there are great theological battles and we're trying to decide who are we aligned with, oftentimes the decision doesn't come down to the merits of the arguments. It comes down to what? Why did people vote for JFK? You know, because he looked better than Richard Nixon on television. He was handsome. Why did Israel desire Saul to be their king? Because he was taller than anyone else and he was handsome. Man looketh upon outward things, but God looks at the heart. It is almost impossible, if we are not careful, not to be impartial. And then there's this third one. There shall be no bribing or receiving of bribes for justice. Amos chapter 5, For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. What can the poor not do? They cannot give you something in return for a favorable sentence. Exodus 23, You shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. Now, I will say this, not all bribes are sinful For a bribe blinds the clear-sighted, as Exodus says. But what about those who are already blind? What if you're visiting a nation in which you have a dear friend who is locked? They cannot leave. And so you've decided, I'm going to put you in the truck of my car. We're going to drive to the border, and I'm going to get you out. And on the way out of the country, someone comes to you and stops you. They see the person in the trunk. What do you do? Is it right in that case to say... Here's a thousand. Let us go. These are questions that we must answer. Is it right? What is the point? Proverbs 17 says this A bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. It's really the issue of what are you attempting to do with the bribe? What if there is an unrighteous judge and you bribe him to make a righteous judgment? A bribe is like that magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Really, a bribe is about the one who receives and the condition of his heart. Now, it is rare to offer a bribe for a righteous end. 
But I would say that Scripture gives us allowance to bribe the wicked for the sake of a righteous end. What the Lord is saying is this. Justice cannot be bought and sold like so many goods and services. Justice does not belong to the market, but to God alone, and he grants it to those who seek it according to his own design. This is the easy thing to do. And when I say bribe, I don't mean money. I mean the batting of eyes to get out of a ticket. You know what I'm talking about? An offer that isn't really an offer. Anything that may sway in a wicked way and influence the decisions of those who are endeavoring to do what is righteous. A bribe interrupts the process. This evil bribe that Christ speaks against through his servant Moses. A bribe that blinds the eyes of the wise. That is an evil bribe. And subverts the cause of righteousness. What I'm saying is this. Parents... It is okay to encourage your children to do good work with a reward. It's kind of a bribe, isn't it? And oftentimes, it's greater than the work actually deserves. You know what I'm talking about? Cleaning your room probably isn't worth a $5 scoop of ice cream. In fact, they should be doing it for free, shouldn't they? But oftentimes, these things happen in such a way as to actually promote the cause of righteousness. But here, God warns Moses against the cause of maintaining wickedness, the subversion of justice. No bribing, no partiality, no perversion, but instead, look at verse 20, justice and only justice you shall follow. Now, it may seem a bit redundant or a bit of a cop-out to say, let justice be what justice is. But what Moses is saying to the people is simple justice that is the application of the word of God to every part of life, is what will bring blessing and peace and righteousness in the land. The standard of God's revealed will in Scripture is the manifestation of righteousness apart from any hidden or selfish agenda. Maybe you've seen the statues of Lady Justice outside the courtroom, and there is a scale in her hand. Her face is blind. In order for her to weigh properly a case... She must be blind, not to the facts, but the things that are placed upon the scales. She must be blind to those who come, not judging the man there or the woman there, but the case that is brought, the proof, the evidence, the testimony. Already God has given examples of how you should hear testimony only on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Can a charge be leveled? It's easy. Detectives cut corners. Judges decide, you know, this guy is a bad guy. Let's get him in prison, even if we have to fiddle with the laws a bit. Does this uphold the standard and does it promote peace? Now, it requires humility, grace, wisdom, patience, and most importantly, trust that there is a God in heaven who is a good judge. And the reason why trust is important is this. Only God justly, accurately, perfectly hears and orders cases. We are imperfect in it. And that is why it requires humility, grace, wisdom, patience, and truth. 
that is a firm foundation in the sovereignty of God. There is no justice. There is no law worth implementing if it does not flow forth from the righteous character and will of God. If the cause or the, the process is unrighteous, then injustice must be the result. This is the standard, God's holy law. And so the foundation and guide for all righteous judgments is the Lord himself. It requires, again, I'll say it, a theonomic conviction. What I mean by that is this. God's law is above all law. And we must surrender and submit to his law as it forms the backbone of every sphere of human engagement, whether it is within your heart, in the church, in the home, or in the state. There is no nation that is blessed by what? Laws that do not come from God. If a nation no longer holds the sixth commandment, what will happen? We are a nation that no longer upholds the sixth commandment. We revel in murder and unjust taking of lives. Do you think it's had an effect? Do you see peace? Do you see tender love and affection between members of homes? Why is that? Because we are allowing ourselves to be ruled by unjust laws. As God desires for his people to live in a land of peace, he is expressing to us a principle. And that principle is this. If you wish to live and inherit the land that the Lord is giving you, you must conduct yourselves in such a way that righteousness flourishes, that it is allowed to flourish. And the only righteous flourishing that can occur in any land, in any place, in any relationship between men, whether it is two or two million or two hundred million, is if we are committed to the same biblical law of God. The end is the glory of God and the exaltation of Christ Jesus. Can you imagine if this church... And it is impossible to avoid, and I'm sure we have done it as a session, exercises partiality in the way we hand out and deal with punishment to members of the church. And what are some reasons for that? Well, there are a number of them. It's easier for ministers and churches to be softer on their kids than they are on other kids. Why? Because their jobs are at stake. It's easy to... Go easy on people who you like and know better than the people you don't have a working relationship with. This is why oftentimes in very large churches where people are anonymous, injustice flourishes. Sin abounds. People are forgotten. If you follow anything besides justice, that is God's righteous rule, you get no justice. And there's really two points of application here. If you are one who is a ruler, like myself or Elder Monteith, then we cannot let personal gain or personal relationships sway our judgment or rule. It's difficult if you want people to like you to be hard with them, to be faithful, to be honest. Because there is another side to this. If you are one who is being ruled, it is very difficult to receive a just sentence. And it can be a small correction. As you bristle under the authority of your parents and your parents lay it out for you, this is what you are doing and this is wrong. 
you may say, I'm not going to hear it. I don't want to hear it. But the righteous response is, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe I have sinned. And go and examine your own heart. We must be soft as rulers and faithful, but we must also be soft and teachable as those who follow. And in Christ, we have the perfect picture, don't we? Paul gives instructions to husbands and wives. He says to husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and lay down your life for her. As a ruler in the home, Paul speaks of that elsewhere, husbands are not to be tyrants, but they are to be tender overseers of the spiritual lives of the members of their home. Wives are to be faithful in being ruled. It's a difficult calling. But again, the scripture must be our guide. Children, children must realize that for a time as they sit under their parents' authority before they become rulers in their homes, they have to submit to those who are superiors. This relationship that the confession speaks of, superiors, peers, and inferiors. If we do not learn how to be ruled well, we will not rule well, and we will miss the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ surrendered to the will of his heavenly Father. Not another will, not a will that he did not love or that was outside of him, for God is one. But Christ himself said what I came to do, not my own will, but the will of my heavenly Father. And because Christ submitted to the judgment of the Father, what was his reward? It was exaltation. If the people of God are to live in peace in the land, they must sit under the faithful judgment of righteous men. And in this is the way to righteousness. It is the way to peace. And we must not wish to have judges who will provide anything other than a righteous sentence, even if it costs you a trip to the courthouse, (laughs) a trip to the sessions meeting place, A meeting with your parents, your principal, your boss. God rules in all of these ways in order to show us that he is a just and holy God. Let's pray.